Well, good morning, everybody. So, um, Teresa Olson was a lady that uh, I got to meet when Kimberly and I lived in California. She was a really sweet lady. And her story was a story of a little girl who grew up with a mom and dad who were both doctors. And um, not only were they both doctors, but they were also unbelievers and they were atheists. And so growing up in this kind of uh, household influence, Teresa too grew up and she went into the medical field and she became a nurse. And for 20 to 30 years, she was a nurse in the ER. And like her parents, uh, she was an atheist. She was an unbeliever. But over time, something kind of began to happen in her life as she had been with and cared for thousands of patients in the ER over the years. She began to kind of notice this distinction, this pattern, this, this, this difference between two types of people, those who had absolutely no faith in God and those who had really strong faith in God. And over the years, she began to kind of realize or recognize that these, these people who had really strong faith in God, they tend to be healed more. And during those times where they didn't, weren't healed and they died, she said that she would see more often than not that these people who had these strong faith were, were different from those who had no faith in the sense that they had a sense of peace that was kind of weird and a joy that was kind of different. And she said, especially compared to those who had no faith, she said, those who didn't have faith, ultimately when succumbing to death and, and the, the, you know, um, dealing with all of that, tend to be more anxious and um, more despair and more agitated and anger and bitter at their situation. And she said that those who had strong faith, she said that she recognized that oftentimes they had more people come to the hospital and have just this incredible, beautiful kind of support system. But she said the one thing that really impacted her life was that people with strong faith, when they were able to, you know, being in their condition in the ER, that people with strong faith that, that kind of made her like think were those who ultimately, and a lot of times, were more concerned with her than with themselves. And that always boggled her mind. She would say, you know, people who just love the Lord and strong in their faith, they would be in the ER, they would be dealing with super hard stuff and the conflict and, you know, and, and, you know, and dealing with their, their ailments. And they would say, Teresa, how are you doing? Teresa, how can I pray for you? And ultimately, she said that was the same thing with the people who would come and visit them. They would, they would come for their friend who was ill or their family member who was ill, but she always felt like valued and appreciated and... Um, and those with strong faith tend to be concerned about her. That just boggled her mind. So it started this journey of seeking. Growing up, she didn't really know much about God, so she just started seeking about God. Who is God? And, and who is this God? If there is a God that, you know, about, you know, this God who is the God that these people put their strong faith in. And over time, she found this God. Or rather, this God found her. And Teresa became a Christ follower. She found salvation. Changed her life for all eternity. Because this ER nurse was loved on by those who were her patients. She was impacted by the generosity. By the generosity of those who were her patient. Who took the time to ask how she was doing. To pray for 
her. It totally impacted her life. Well, today we are continuing on in our series on generosity. And if you haven't been here, um, or if you have been here, just kind of give you a little recap of how are we defining generosity? We're defining generosity as we look through Scripture and we look at the character of God, particularly God in the flesh of Jesus Christ. This is what we see in generosity, how God, we think that God would define generosity. That generosity is simply an open heart that freely moves towards people. That's generosity. Generosity is just an open heart, a heart that has been changed by the love of God that just moves towards other people, just wants to love other people. Oftentimes, I think when we think about the way that God envisions generosity, I think that what he really has in mind is that we would be generous even not even recognizing us being generous. It's just not what we do so much as who we are. Generosity is not, you know, to get something back. Generosity in, in, in the eyes of God is not to get a pat on the back. Generosity is just, just loving somebody. Why? Because we've been loved by God. And so what we're going to talk about this, this morning is kind of expand this a little bit to a kind of a particular segment of our lives is that I think ultimately generosity, what God wants to see in our lives is that we would even have an open heart that moves towards other people even when we are dealing with hard things. That generosity is also an open heart that moves towards people even when we're dealing with tough stuff. Because as, as, as Teresa found, and those who had strong faith in the emergency room of, of her own experience that loved her and were generous to her, even when they were going through hard things and how it impacted her life, we see that same characteristic in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus being an incredible person of generosity, a person who had an open heart, who moved towards people, even when he himself was dealing with some really, really hard stuff. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 19. So you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Um, You can also find this passage in the worship guide. Again, all you have to do is open up your camera, uh, click on the QR link in 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 the seat in front of you. Uh, We'll have the verses here uh, as well for you to follow along. But as you're kind of turning over there, let me give you some context. The context here of what we're going to read here is about a week or so before Jesus was going to die. And the thing about it is Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew everything that was about to happen to him. He knew that his closest uh, followers, those who had been with him for about three years, would run away in his biggest time of need. He knew that those who represented him, or supposed to represent him, because Jesus is God in the flesh, and those who were supposed to represent him were the priests of Israel. The priests of Israel, their job was to represent God to the people. That those same people would mock him, beat him, and then have him crucified. Have him die a a, just a horrific kind of death. And all of it, and dealt with the injustice of of it all. He knew all of this was about to happen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a place in your life, and maybe some of you are in your place in your life right now, where you know, you see a hard thing coming? Hard in the sense where you can feel it, you can feel it in your gut, that maybe you're up at night, you're worried about it. Maybe for those of you who are younger, maybe it's like a big, huge test, a final, that you're worried about it. 
Maybe it's, it's worried about whether you're going to get in college or maybe getting out of college or wherever. Maybe you're worried and stressed that you may not get that job. Maybe it's a big transition in your life that has you, you know, stressed, uh, you know, wherever that may be. Or maybe you have heard that, um, of a medical report that really, really stresses you out. That there's something, you just know something hard is coming. And inside of us, We've, we've all been there to some degree, some bigger than others, but we've all been there to where our stomach feels like it's turning a little bit as we're thinking about that potential reality in our lives that's hard. That's exactly where Jesus is. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him about a, a week from now. But one of the things that we're going to kind of see is, even though all of that is true, we see within Jesus a continual love for other people. I don't know about you, but usually I find in my life that the natural inclination in my life when hard things are coming is not to look outward and to love and serve other people. Usually in those moments are the moments where I turn inward and I'm thinking about my situation. I'm I'm role-playing everything that's coming down in front of me. I'm stressing about it. I'm worrying about it. And everything is, is coming inward rather than just this natural flow of an open heart that moves freely towards other people. But what we see here is that's exactly what Jesus does. And as you see him, as even though he knows all of these hard things are coming, he has an open heart that moves towards other people. And I believe that God is moving all of us to becoming that same type of person. It's hard, it's difficult, but I believe that's where God wants us to experience uh, his love, his peace, his trust, by which, and his purpose and mission in life and in future, by which we become a people who continuously, even through our hard things, allow God to work within our hearts to, to remind us of his goodness, of his wisdom, and of his love, by which then we go and we love others, even when we're going through hard things. So Luke chapter 19, one week before Jesus is uh, going to be crucified, he's on his way to his final destination, which was Jerusalem. And so we see in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. So he's going through the town, all right? So he's making his way through the town. So in his mind, he's locked on his mission, locked where he's going, locked on his destination, and he's going through the town. Now, we, you know, we can imagine what that may have been like. I don't know if I was Jesus, and I know that I'm not Jesus, but if I, you know, were in that role, I think I would probably be just consumed. I probably wouldn't even be paying much attention about what's going on around me. I think I would just be going and thinking about Jerusalem, what's going to happen in Jerusalem, what I have to do, what I have to accomplish, all the things that I'm going to have to deal with as I get, you know, as I get to that final destination, to that place, I would probably be pretty consumed in that. And I would be just thinking about getting through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. But what we see is something different from Jesus here. And so what we're going to do is we look through Luke chapter 19. We're also going to, I'm going to kind of think through kind of three different excuses that I have and maybe you experienced these before of why sometimes we're not very generous or our lives just aren't naturally generous. And I think one of the excuses that I know that I can give and is the fact that, you know what, now's the time not to be generous because I have my own stuff. I have my own hard stuff. I have my own junk. 
I have my own difficulties now. So God, you want me to go and think about other people and go and serve other people and go and love other people when I have my own stuff. I'm dealing with really hard stuff, my stuff. And in those moments, you know, we tend to be less than generous because we are focused on the worries, the stress, the anxiety of all of those, of those things. And so what we see here, you know, and we can kind of think, well, it seems pretty legitimate to be able to say, well, God, I have, I have my own stuff. I have my own things. What, you know, I, I need to be paying attention to, to me right now. Um, one of the things I've, I've learned in life is um, to take my excuses to God. Okay. When I take my excuses to God, he always takes away my excuses. That's what I hate about God. <laughs> I love him, but he challenges me. I know that if I went to the Lord, Lord, you know what? I have my own stuff. My own life is hard. God, you know my own life is hard. Jesus, you know my life is hard. I have my own hard stuff. By which when I give those things to Jesus, Jesus says to me as if he says to me, you know what? I understand, Tyler. I understand. I was rejected. I felt the, um, you know, the, the, the weight of injustice. I was beaten up. I was killed. I was crucified. Oh, yeah, okay, well, then that's not as bad as what I'm going through. And, and, and at the same time, Jesus said, but through that all, I trusted my Father, and I continued to love others. And it's like, oh, okay. Trust the Father and continue to love others, even when we're going through hard things. That's what God desires for us. The second thing that we're going to kind of see when we kind of walk through this, the other kind of excuse I think sometimes we work through is, uh, when it comes to not being generous to other people, is um, kind of this idea of, well, they, they look like they're okay. They don't, it doesn't look like they really need to be, you know, I need to really be generous to them because they don't really need it. It looks like they got everything kind of going on in their life and everything seems to be going good. So, you know, I don't really need to really engage in my life and being, you know, and opening up my heart to that person, engage in that relationship with them because they look like they got it all together. Life looks good for them. Well, when Jesus is going through, um, through Jericho, there was a guy who was incredibly wealthy, powerful position um, in that town. His name was Zacchaeus. And so in verse 2 of Luke chapter 19, it says here, there was a man there in Jericho whose name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means a little bit later. But for now, when you see him, he's, he's not just a, you know, he's a chief co- tax collector. He's a manager. He's a person of position. And he's a person of wealth as well. How many of y'all have ever thought about, when you think about uh, people in your life, when you kind of, especially since we're coming, coming to Christmas here, when you, when you go, what in the world do you give a person who has everything, Right? What do I give people who already have everything? You know, when, and we, we, we stress about it. You know, they, it doesn't matter what kind of gift I have. They can go out and they can buy that gift. That's a piece of cake. They seem to have everything. Uh, what is it in the world that I could even give them because they seem like they don't need anything? Mother Teresa, maybe some of you have heard of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was uh, just an incredible lady who basically gave her life to the poorest of poor uh, in the slums of Calcutta, India. 
uh, where she just opened up her heart that moved towards loving other people, the, the outcasts of society, the poor of the poor. But Mother Teresa famously once said that the hardest hunger to satiate, to get rid of, is not the hunger of the stomach. The hardest hunger to get rid of is the hunger for love. It's the hunger of the hearts. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter who has, you know, more money. It doesn't matter whom of us here may have lots of money. We all hunger for love. We are all made for love. We all need love. Love is what God has created within us to connect our hearts to him and to connect our hearts to one another. And one of the things that we see with Zacchaeus, even though he has it all, when we kind of think about in the, you know, the worldly sense, he has position, he has money, probably can do basically almost whatever he wants to do. But what we're going to find is there's something that Zacchaeus needs that maybe he himself doesn't really quite, can quite put his finger on and quite understand why he feels this continual unsettledness in his life because outwardly he seems to have everything that a person would ever seem to need, but yet there's still something stirring within his heart. And maybe he doesn't really fully know yet that that what is stirring in his heart and the need in his heart is, is love. And that his heart to be filled, not just by the love of people like us, but the love of God. So in verse 3, it goes on. And so... This Zacchaeus heard Jesus. Jesus was quite famous, quite known around the region uh, for obvious reasons. And so he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Or in another version, he was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. He couldn't wait to see Jesus. He wanted to see this guy. Heard all about him, wanted to get a view of him. Um, And so he's trying to figure out how to see Jesus. And so he goes, he runs ahead, he climbs a tree, knowing that Jesus is coming this way, because probably that's the path through town on the way to to Jerusalem. And so it says here, Luke um, goes and Luke shows about what Jesus does here. And so in Luke uh, 19.5, when Jesus came by, guess what he did? He looked up. This is important. That seems like a very small thing. But Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. You know, again, when we think about, man, God, I got a lot of hard stuff going in my life. There's a lot of things I have to do. I have a lot of responsibilities. I'm dealing with this hard thing. Jesus is exactly in the same boat here. Same thing, you know? God, I have, I, have, I have all these things I got, I got to do. You know, Jesus, I got all these things I got to do. And Jesus would say, well, yeah, me too. I had to save the world. <laughs> what are you doing, Tyler? It's like, okay, well, I'm not really saving the world. But what does the Savior of the world do? He stops. He has a mission. He knows where he's going. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going through town. And he comes to his place. And he stops. And he stops. And he looks up at Zacchaeus. I love that. He calls him by his name. Love that. Think about that. One of the powerful, most powerful words in your life is your name. 
Can you imagine what it would be like to have somebody as famous like Jesus who's coming through town stops and calls you by your name? It's busy, busy saving the world, got things to do. Stops, calls you by your name. So Jesus comes by, he stops and he says, Zacchaeus. Guarantee you that probably just rocked his world to hear his name called by Jesus. Sometimes, again, when we talk about when generosity, we think of generosity as exchanging goods and services to helping somebody maybe in need and that sort of thing. But let me tell you, that was probably one of the most generous things that's probably ever happened in Zacchaeus' life. That this person of Jesus coming through town stopped, looked at him in the eye, looked him up in the tree, and called him by his name connected with him relationally. Zacchaeus, he said, come down, man. I must be a guest in your home today. He stops, tells him by name, looks him in the eye, and says, let's go spend some time together. So when you look at Zacchaeus and you think of a man who has everything, Jesus gives him the one thing that this man who has everything doesn't have, the recognition that there is a God who's pursuing him, that loves him, that wants a relationship with him. And all the things that he's trying to fill his life with that ain't doing it for him is standing there. The one thing that can do it is standing right in front of him, Jesus. And Jesus, in his generosity, stops and says, hey, let's break bread together. I must be a guest in your house today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Wow, it's amazing. So here we see the characteristic of Jesus. He has a lot of hard things going on in his life. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. But he stops and he focuses in on Zacchaeus. And here's a guy who has basically everything that you want to think of. But he gives him the thing that he doesn't have. The thing that he really needs. Which is a love from the God who made him and created him. Who desires salvation to come into his life for all eternity. There's one other thing that we see that sometimes we think when we think about generosity that can be an excuse of us. One of it is we have our hard stuff going on. We have our own hard stuff. Ah, They don't need it. Or sometimes one of the things that keeps us from being generous is when we look at other people and go, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve an open heart from me to them. They don't deserve me to move towards a relationship with them. They They don't deserve it. And uh, when we think about, you know, with Zacchaeus, there's a lot of people there. When Jesus said, man, I'm coming over to share uh, a meal with you. They didn't like that too much because they knew how this guy made his money. And so in verse 7, he says this in Luke chapter 19, but the people were displeased. He's doing what? He stops, looks at this guy, calls him by name, and he goes to his house and they were displeased by it. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. This guy is irreligious. He is self-centered. He makes money off of the oppression of other people. And Jesus is going to go and have a meal with him. This displeased people. As a chief tax collector, now you got to understand, 
2,000 years ago, when the tax collector came on the door, knocked on your door, they're not sitting there going, hey, you know what? We are, you know, the tax collectors come, and we're going to take your money, and we're going to create a fire department so that all these homes are going to get on fire. We're going we're to create a police department so that way you can feel safe. We're going we're to create schools to help educate your children. We're going to create a great, you know, medical system to be able to take care of you f- physically. That's not what they were doing 2,000 years ago. When the tax man came, everybody knew that they had to give that money over or bad things were going to happen to them. And that money they were going to hand over was going to continue to feed the regime that kept them oppressed. And that's who Zacchaeus was. Made a lot of money off of people just like you to use that money to give to the people who would be oppressing you. You wouldn't like that too much. You would feel a little displeasure that Jesus would go and hang out with this guy. But what we've learned about generosity, right? Generosity sometimes isn't really about what we do. It's about who we are and who we're becoming. Again, John said in his letter in 1 John, God is love. That's just who he is. That's just what he does. And so when it comes about generosity, it's just what we do. Why? Because it's who we are. As we are becoming more and more conformed into the image of, of Jesus Christ. We're taking on his DNA. That we are just generous. We just love other people. Now here's the thing. And we've talked about it before. That in all reality, when we think about the generosity of God in our lives, that all of us are sinners. All of us are notorious sinners before God because God knows all of our sins. Everything that we've done, not done, thought, all of these things. He already knows that. And guess what? He was generous towards each and every single one of us in here. And I'm sure those of you who are following Jesus Christ, the reason why you follow Jesus Christ was because God has called you by name and called you into that relationship with him to change your life through the generosity of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why when we say generosity changes lives, that's what we mean. That this, this, this weird, unconditional kind of love towards somebody who doesn't deserve it, it it rattles us, and it confounds us, and it moves us. Paul said it this way in Romans, don't you know that God's kindness leads you to repentance, to change? So generosity changes lives in the sense of God, whose open heart towards us, moved towards us through, through coming in flesh, giving up his life for us, you know, moved us into that relationship with him by which we are eternally grateful for. He calls us and is to do the same, and he's molding us to be like Christ by which we just do the same. There will be a time when we will stand before our Lord. For those of us who have accepted the amazing, wonderful, beautiful gift of, of salvation through the, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will have the opportunity to be able to meet Zacchaeus because of Jesus' generosity at that day. Zacchaeus's life was changed forever because of his generosity goes on here in luke 19 8 meanwhile zacchaeus stood before the lord and he said i will give half my wealth to the poor lord and if i have cheated people on their taxes i will give them back four times as much this man who was shriveled up inside even though he amassed so much wealth Experienced the greatest wealth he's ever experienced in his life, and that was the love of Jesus Christ, who looked him in the eye, called him by his name, and came and had fellowship with him, by which 
this generosity towards him changed his life. Now you see his heart beginning to move from cold and callous. It's a hard world. You just got to get what you can get because it's all the life that we have and all that sort of stuff. That now he met his Savior, met love, by which the work of God in his life beginning to turn within his heart, by which now you see him being generous towards other people. By which Jesus says this in verse 9 about Zacchaeus. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. Salvation would not have come to this home today if Jesus would have listened to the crowd and said, he doesn't deserve it. Salvation wouldn't have come to this home today if Jesus would have just gone, you know what? I'm busy. I got to save the world. Or, man, I am so focused on what is about to happen to me. Salvation wouldn't have come to this house today if Jesus would have just been, you know, kind of like, well, he looks wealthy. He looks like every, he has everything together. It doesn't look like he really needs anything. So I'm just going to kind of go on my way. But salvation came to this house today because a very busy man saving the world who's about to go through really hard stuff recognized and, re- and, and knows that his mission is people. His purpose is people. And so he takes the time, he stops, he looks, he loves, he steps into Zacchaeus' life, and salvation comes to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, there's a old cliche, you know, about killing time. You know, if you kill time, you're just committing suicide. And, and we are obsessed in our world about making sure that we eke out every single piece of our life here on this planet, which is good. That is good. But sometimes we don't really ask the question of even though we're supposed to get the most out of this life, what should we be doing to get the most out of this life? You know, the old country song, you know, uh, you know, live like you were dying, get on a bull like named Fu Manchu. You know, like you have the bucket list and you go do all this bucket list. Jesus Christ had only really one bucket list on his list while he was alive. You know what that one thing was? was you and me and our salvation. You and me and our salvation. By which, even though he was on his way to give up his life, you and me were on his list. Zacchaeus was on his list. His, his disciples were on his list. The people that he died for was on his list. And honestly, guys, when we think about it, it's not just about Jesus. It's about all of us. When it comes to how do we live our life to the fullest, we should live our life to the fullest in our relationship with God and through that, our relationship with other people. We can be very busy. We can go through really hard times and we can, you know, uh, we can sit there and assume that people don't need um, our love or any of that sort of stuff. But when we slow down and we just allow God to remind us that our life is our mission, mission isn't something we schedule. We just live it. And what is our mission? Our mission in life is the same as that of Jesus Christ. That is to know our Heavenly Father, to know our God intimately, and to go and love and bring salvation to a world 
that is lost. And to be people who trust our Lord as Jesus trusted the Father that he knew he was going to go through those hard things. He knew about the resurrection of the dead. He knew about God's plan. He knew about his future. And when we, the people of God, recognize we have eternal life in Christ. We are good. We have an amazing relationship with our Father, and He wants an even you know, closer relationship with us. When we recognize the fact that this world is our mission and everything we do is on mission, then we can live a life that allows God first and foremost to love us, by which then we go out and love others, even when we're dealing with hard things. Now, I know that that's, you know, Tyler, that's a, that's a great message. That sounds really great. That's incredibly hard. There's no doubt about it. Even Jesus dripped blood, right? When he knew he was coming, going down the gauntlet. And there's no doubt that dealing with hard things is really, really, really hard. But it's in those moments of, you know, when we go through hard things that we need to come and bring our heart to the Lord and give it to him and allow him to continue to, to wash us with his love and to remind of, his, of, his, of us of his promises and remind us of the reason why we still have breath in this world to be the people that go and love and serve. We're going to sing a song here called Waymaker, which is really just about, how, you know, you know, allowing God to have his way in our lives and to impact our lives so we can be people that go and be generous to other people no matter what's going on in our lives because we're becoming more like Jesus. And during this moment, we're going to do something. We're bringing something back, which I'm really excited about. We're going to have uh, a couple of our elders and their wives right up here on the crosses on this side during this song. And uh, they would love just to be able to pray with you. Whatever may be going on in your life, you may be dealing with something hard. And so it would be wonderful to go and pray with them. There may, be something, there may be somebody who's going through something hard. And you want to pray for them. And so they will pray for you. There may be something that I, we're not even talking about this morning that's stirring your heart to go and pray with another person. Go and pray. There's something powerful about when two or more are gathered together to talk to our Heavenly Father that really makes a difference in that. And so let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your generosity in our lives. That you stop and you call us by your name. And wow, does that just really fill our heart to know that you love us, each one of us individually, deeply and profoundly. That you love us even though we are notorious sinners. You love us and you're so generous to us. Love, you know, God, you know that, you know, we all do need you. You are the one who fills our heart. And so, Father, I also pray and I ask as you fill our heart that you would open our perspective. That while we have breath, as Paul said in prison, to live as Christ, to die is gain. That to die would be great to be with you because he's with you forever. But then as he's here on this planet, that means fruitful labor. That we have an opportunity to go and love other people, to be generous to other people, to bring salvation to other people's households, to other people's lives. So, Father, have your way through us, through our hearts, and using our hearts into the lives of other people. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.